And I, I, I have found data to be the best thing to go with rather than, uh, you know, some generalization that you read in a book somewhere. Right, right. Or observed because you talked to your cousin who happens to right. be a millennial, and this is the way they think, and trying to apply it to everybody else. Let's start today's podcast off by jumping right into the eight key differences between Gen Z and millennials. I, I couldn't even get that out without laughing a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that we want to discuss tonight is basically pigeonholes and labels and the dangers of overgeneralization. And it's not too difficult at all to be find yourself in a meeting and hear somebody say something along the lines of what millennials really want in the workplace is so what's the danger of thinking that way too much and too often, Todd? Yeah. So as you mentioned, this is a very common phenomenon. I've had a variety of clients come and talk to me about, help me understand what's going on with these young people. And uh, <laughs> these young quite, people, <laughs> these young people, you know, these millennials, and, and quite often it's kind of accompanied by a rolling of the eyes or a drooping of the shoulders. <laughs> You know, try, trying to understand some of the different needs uh, of people um, as they think about uh, people who are joining their teams. I, I think I think there's some value, Todd, uh, and we talked about this before we started recording recording the podcast. There's some value in having some broad understanding of what might be some potential uh, differences in terms of perspectives or experiences. But I think what we want to talk about today is that there are just some real risks here of pigeonholing people and generalizing people because as as we start to look at all these lists, you know, like you were saying before, Generation Z versus Millennial, uh, there's a great danger that we are assuming we know what matters to people, that we assume we understand what their life experience is, and we assume that we know what people want and that they're very similar across age groups. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, it, it just reminds me of one... Um, I was first entering the learning and development field, and I was going to a workshop where they were talking about this crazy group, this crazy generation that was increasingly entering the workforce called Generation X. <laughs> and Generation X was this, and Generation X was that, and uh, these are the characteristics of Generation X, and here's what employers need to do to prepare for this group. And I remember thinking as I was listening to all this that, you know, some of this matches my experience, my perspective, but boy, not all of it did. And I felt like to some extent, this was talking about someone that was not like me, someone that was different than I was. And I felt a little resentful that there was a broad brush description of everyone who happened to be my age. Right. Felt like, uh, hey, that, that that doesn't apply to me as a whole. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I was a little frustrated because of my age that I was categorized in this broad group that apparently thought about things a certain way and automatically wanted the same things or didn't like the same things. And it struck me that, you know, when we do that, how how much different is that 
than when we might generalize because someone is of a certain height, they must be a good basketball player. Sure. Right. I, I get that a fair amount. <laughs> I'm over six foot tall. People ask me all the time, well, hey, are you a basketball player? Sure. Well, I don't play basketball that well, Todd, just so you know. <laughs> and I get that all the time. And so people assume because of my height that I must be a basketball player. Similarly, think about generalizations that have occurred, you know, probably since the beginning of time based on a, someone's skin color yep. or yep. based on someone's religion yep. uh, or based on where someone comes from. Um, and while there certainly can be some differences, right, What there, there just is not a tremendous amount of value creating with a broad brushstroke some of these categorizations and stereotypes without accounting for the fact that people are individual and different and have different life experiences. You know, it's such a natural thing for us to group people and to cluster them together. What are some of the benefits or some of the reasons why we naturally do that? Well, I'd like your thoughts on this too. I think, frankly... Uh, our our brains are probably set up to do that a little bit. I think just the way that we learn and how the human brain functions, we tend to categorize something into good and bad. Uh, we 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 try to say I've experienced this before, and when I had this other experience, it was like this, so it falls into this category. Right. I I think I think part of this is human nature, where we we try to simplify, we try to categorize things uh, because it's easier for us to kind of manage life. Right. Uh, and I would also say that uh, there are some times when uh, thinking broadly about a group such such as, you know, let's let's consider uh, new hires join the organization out of college and uh, what might be some common challenges that they have. Sure. Yeah. So now, I think, yeah, go ahead. I don't mean to I'll just say the, the difference with that, though, Todd, is that that particular difference is less about specific age and more about, look, in, in this stage of life. You're, you know, you've just graduated from college. You probably have some student loans, right? You're trying to establish yourself, build your career. And so what's going to be important to you at that point may be very different than when you have 20 years of experience and you have an aging parent living with you who is struggling with some sort of health issue. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think back to the original thing of why we do it. And I think we are, it's a natural state for us to do some sort of pattern matching, right? You know, we're always looking for a, this is like that. Exactly. So I can respond in a similar way or to treat it this way. And it's helpful for us as leaders um, or as um, impacting in an organization. You know, I think about like uh, anybody responsible for the culture or HR groups, it's helpful sometimes to be able to pattern match groups of people to say if there are common problems, common issues there, maybe we can solve that for the entire group as opposed to trying to do it one-on-one. So there are some efficiencies to be had there. And as a leader, I can say, if my whole team needs this, then I can respond that way as opposed to having to treat everybody individually. And so it's finding that right balance. And then I guess if there is some help in doing some pattern matching and matching people up into groups, what's the best way to do that? And strictly based around age, when a person was born as, you know, baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, millennial, may not be the most productive way. While there may be some common folks of people who grew up watching Saved by the Bell versus people who grew up watching Seinfeld (laughs) or whatever the the generational show is for that. um, You know, I do think it's helpful to make sure that we focus more on kind of the lifestyle needs of what they're going through at their life at that point, as opposed to necessarily their age. 
Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it, it seems to me that there's a key principle. We talked about this in one of our last podcasts, Todd, in terms of these fundamental mindsets that we need to have as managers. And as we talked about, one of those fundamental mindsets is what motivates me may not motivate other people. Or right. alternately, pe- people are not the same as I am. Right. And so it's being able to balance the fact that people are individual and have their own sets of life experiences, personalities, all that kind of stuff. Uh, with recognizing that there can be some commonalities, particularly based on, you know, stage of life and, you know, shared experiences, right? So if there's a group that have very common shared experiences, they may have a set of common needs. Um, But it it requires us to to parse things out a little bit more um, clearly uh, beyond just by putting people in, in in a box based on their age alone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the key things we have to be aware of whenever we engage in this clustering people into groups is to understand the variation within a group. And so, you know, realizing that by finding common ground, you can't speak for the entire group and realizing kind of one extreme versus the other within that given group and being able to play to that. Now, you may be in a situation where you have to play to the average because you don't have enough resources to play uh, all the way around. But I think it's real important to to not get your definition too tight. I think that's part of where you were feeling the offense of being classified as a Gen Xer and thereby having all of these characteristics that you didn't feel really matched with who you really were. Right, right. And, and the other tendency, Todd, and I, I, I can't say that this is factually accurate, <laughs> but it's an observation. Uh, and what it feels like to me quite often uh, is that when people start getting engaged in discussions about generational stereotypical differences, it feels to me like conversations are more heavily weighted towards the negatives, yep. right? This generation is, uh, and I'm just make, making this up, this generation is lazy, <laughs> right. uh, is going to be living in their, their parents' basement until right. they're 50, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I just don't find that to be especially helpful. And I, I remember having a conversation with the vice president of a, a multi-billion dollar manufacturer complaining about these these blankety-blank millennials. <laughs> uh you know, they don't have a work ethic. They want to be promoted so fast. And while some of those things may be true of some of the individuals he has spoken to, um, those are all negative things, right? right. And it may not right. represent the great uh, talent they bring to the table, perhaps some of the other great things that they uh, provide based on their life experience. He was just focused on the negative. And so that's another little observation that I have. And I don't know if that's factually accurate, but with a number of my clients, it sure seems like when they start talking about generational differences, the emphasis is on the negative. Right. Yeah. And so, and particularly when you're talking about generations outside of your own. Um, right. And, you know, it's, I think it's a very common uh, generational thing for every generation to look at the next upcoming generation and say, they're just not as hardworking as what I was. Exactly. Um, you know, so that, that's, I guess, one common ground that, uh, that branches across all of them. I also think one of the other dangers that can fall into this is when we start to assign motivations, mindsets, and thinking to a particular group. So this group is less focused than this group, or this group sets freedom above money. Um, You know, that 
when we start assigning values or thought processes internally and try to describe how they solve problems or how they uh, tackle situations, I think that's when we really start to head into dangerous territory, where it's much more productive if we are attacking labels to say, what are common issues they're dealing with? What are common struggles that they have? Because they might solve it differently within that particular group. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and it strikes me that this goes back to something we've talked about in other podcasts, Todd, that one of the roles we have as leaders within the organization is we, we have to do a better job observing and a better job listening, right? right? What are those issues? Right. What are the perspectives around those issues? Uh, how can we be perceived as listening and not necessarily stuck uh, in the, a way of thinking about those things the same way we've always thought about it for the last 20 years? <laughs> right. And so part of the issue is that, you know, it, as as new people come in or as not even necessarily new people, but as people who are different come in, I think we're also dealing with change uh, re, uh, resistance and an unwillingness to entertain new ways of looking at things. And here, you know, one classic example that occurs in organizations all the time is, um, you know, particularly for those people who have been around for a while, kind of work their way up through organization, uh, stayed with an organization for a long time. They have a hard time fathoming the concept that someone may not be thrilled about staying in one job for 10 years right. and uh, then being in their next job for 10 years so that eventually they might be promoted to a manager. Right. Right. And so part of this is listening, understanding, and uh, not necessarily that you have to uh, change every process, but being sensitive to the needs and perspectives of other people, which can only be gained by listening and observing. Sure. Sure. And, and yes, and genuinely seeking to understand uh, what is going on. I, I think it might be helpful for us to take a few minutes and brainstorm some ways that we can handle when we're in a meeting or a group of people and we start to see too much pigeonholing or labeling going on. So the discussion goes to a point where we've clearly identified a group and people start piling in trying to define that group and creating solutions for that group. So a common one that I see a lot of right now is talk of millennials or Gen Z, whether it's the customer or that they're entering the workforce what uh, what are they doing to that that they're different? So, what are ways that we can impact or help the group when we start to see them overgeneralize too much? Good point, Todd. You know, I think there are some, you know, short term, inter intermediate team, or some longer term ways to, to address that. Um, one kind of short term thing is, you know, when there's those type of dialogues about, you know, millennials want this or baby boomers want that. Um, I think it's okay to challenge people say, but does every millennial want that? Or does every baby boomer want that? Um, are we sure that that's the case? Uh, what data leads you to believe that that's the case? Um, uh, who have you talked to that has shared this? Are you generalizing based on talking to one person? And I think that leads to some other intermediate, more longer term strategies. And that is, you know, as we're looking at company policies or taking a look at, you know, key issues such as turnover or something like that. Get data, right? Survey people, conduct focus groups, and find out what it is those issues are uh, and, and see what those might look like. And perhaps they do match up in some ways with some of those generations, but perhaps not. Yeah. And I, I, I have found data to be the best thing to go with rather than, uh, you know, some generalization that you read in a book somewhere. Right, right. Or observed because you talked to your 
cousin who happens to right. be a millennial, and this is the way they think, and trying to apply it to everybody else. I, I, I think, you know, and sometimes, from my experience, when talking with somebody and you start to border on confrontational with something like, are, are we sure everybody thinks that way or how else is think? They, they can sometimes get defensive and lock in a little bit more. And, and I'm wondering if there's ways that we can shift the conversation to get them to stop labeling so much and start talking about solutions or ways for us to find out more. So if somebody says, you know, uh, millennials are just spending all the time on their phone. You know, they're on Snapchat and and other social media as opposed to really interacting one on one or having conversations uh, with people. And the key there is, well, we can't engage with that group as much as we once did. Well, that's always, you know, that's the question. Then is then shift that to say, does it really matter if that's the label or not? We need to figure out how to engage everybody we interact with. So let's start talking about how we can engage them more. So so start to shift the conversation to more, what are we going to do about it, or solutions, but broaden the solution so you're not limited to one narrowly defined label that has been assigned by the group. Right. You know, I perhaps wanted to do that would be say, hey, here's some examples of some things that I've seen that have worked really well, where the team seems to be very engaged. And uh, that team is comprised of people from a variety of generations, or sure. all of them are in that that age group. But look, look, look what they're doing differently, or whatever. Um, you know, just providing an alternative example. Yep. Um, that helps people reframe things. Uh, Todd, I have to tell you a quick little story, and I'll try and make this fast. Yeah. I was at a national conference last year uh, with a group of international um, executives, CEO, president, a couple other folks from an international company, and they had a, a younger gentleman with them. And they started talking about millennials, and they kept turning to this young man and saying, now, what do millennials think about this? What do millennials think about that? And on, on the one hand, I thought it was excellent that they were asking this person for his opinion. But on the other hand, I was thinking, wow, this fellow <laughs> has, has the, has the, the uh, substantial responsibility to represent all millennials and every answer he provided to these executives, and I thought, wow, that's something else. Yeah. And it was well-intentioned, and I, this young man seemed to have some very helpful perspectives, but boy, that's dangerous. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, so sometimes if you just have one, I guess my point here is if you just have one data point, right, you have one millennial on your team, and you always go to that one person on your team to get any advice about a millennial, uh, while it, there may be periodic insight, it won't necessarily uh, address the, the full team. Yep, yep. I'm wondering if sometimes if we can reassign labels could also be another productive tactic we could take. And so if somebody's talking about millennials and that they are always on their phones, um, what if we start to relabel that as... Uh, high digital users. That's a dumb label, but I'm trying to think of, you know, uh, phone phone addicts um, might be a better way to do it. So that encompasses the 40-year-old who is addicted to his phone as much as it does the millennial who's addicted to their phone uh, to kind of broaden the behavior as opposed to necessarily assigning it based on the generation, because then we can engage everybody in that. It kind of starts to broaden people's mind to think more about it, depending on what, what topic you're trying to address or, or deal with there. Yeah, I like that. You know, another 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 way of thinking about that would be um, how do we address the needs of 
professionals that are dealing with elder care. Sure. Right? Now, in some cases, it may be baby boomers, but there, there are a remarkable number of people, Todd, even at the younger ages, who are dealing with elder care issues. Right. And so how do, how do we help with people who are in this kind of life stage or dealing with this, this challenge in their life experience? Right. So that would be another alternative way of, of thinking about meeting needs of groups of people. Yeah. No, I like that. I think it's, it's kind of fascinating to me, and I bet just raising the issue and talking through this, I'm going to be curious over the next week or so to see if I'm more aware of more labels and more overgeneralizations that take place. I bet there's more embedded in my daily conversations and communications than I suspect. Well, I suspect you're right, and they're not all gen- you know generational related. I, as as you and I were talking about before the podcast, one that I hear all the time with people rolling their eyes and shaking their heads and sometimes clenching their fists is <laughs> the, the term senior management. You say the term senior management, and depending on who you're talking to, that can create quite a visceral negative reaction uh, because the senior management somehow gets categorized as one glop of hard to deal with people. Right now, I'm of course. I'm not saying this is true in every case, obviously, but sometimes this is a reaction uh, with some of my client groups. They mention that term. And and it's another example, right, of kind of glopping everyone uh, by title. Yep. You know, every person in senior management is this way, or every manager is this way, or every um, frontline worker, or, you know, when I worked in a unionized facility, it was kind of the union group and management. Yep. And uh, you were in those two categories, and there was a whole set of assumptions and generalizations associated with each category, which, frankly, uh, were not 100% correct. You know, it's it's funny thinking about that. I, I think back to my grandfather used to talk about the most dangerous of the four-letter words is they. And, right. you know, that's, that's, that's the baseline overgeneralization of they are different than me. Um, and so yeah, I was just recently in a meeting where somebody asked kind of of the group of, why did they make this decision? And a person in the group who was involved <laughs> in the decision said, well, the reason I did, thank you so much for, you know, uh, giving me the benefit of the doubt of saying why I didn't, but this is kind of the way I did it. And I just thought it was great the way that person took ownership in that meeting to say, they is me. Um, um, and, you know, it really kind of helped diffuse the conversation and get everybody engaged in saying, hey, we all have some ownership and responsibility here. And so I think it's so easy when we're talking about groups or people outside of ourselves trying to make a distinction between them and us, that that's when we start tapping into those labels or being able to to utilize them. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, Todd, as I think about this, I think kind of where we're gravitating to is a caution towards these labels and categorizing people. Uh, that's one. Secondly, recognizing there's a lot of variance among individuals yep. and listening and observing to them to better understand that. And a third, and I really like where you're headed with this, is a, is a reminder that some of the categories, if you will, or some of the buckets that we use to categorize folks may be less helpful, but there could be alternative ways of, of simplifying things that might be more helpful, whether it's related to life stage uh, or a set of common interests like your tech, what was it? Technology addicted <laughs> person. Phone addicted, yeah. Phone, <laughs> addict, is, phone addicts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think that might be a helpful alternative provided that, uh, you know, it, it meets some of the other criteria we talked about in terms of not creating too broad of a picture that does not represent the full scheme of interest or full scheme of differences that might exist. Sure. Yeah. I think 
trying to think about the baggage that your labels bring along with them um, and realizing that models and classifications can be productive in helping us address a common set of issues or a common set of problems and reframing to say, do I have the best, most descriptive label and then not get too bogged down in assigning everybody within that group with equal, um, you know, understanding that the true variation that takes place within each of those groups. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think the, you know, one of the, in addition to it being simpler for our human brains to process I think another reason why we tend to gravitate towards categorizations and generalizations and pigeonholing is because we think it helps us predict stuff, right? Yep. Predict what someone will be like, predict their behavior. And I don't know about you, Todd, but I have found it to be a lot harder in practice to predict. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so even with these categorizations, I'm not sure – we're going to be um, especially prof proficient at perfectly predict, uh, excuse me, perfectly predict predicting what people's behaviors are all about. So, although that may be one of the purposes of why there's a fair number of people talking about these categorizations, I'm not sure it's always going to be helpful. Sure, sure. I I think my key takeaway from this just that uh, Gen Z is is much lazier about assigning labels than the rest of us. <laughs> And, and maybe and maybe Gen X is much better at assigning labels than the rest of us. <laughs> but not as good as the baby boomers. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Todd. Good discussion. Yeah, thanks, Todd. You know, it's it's like anything else. It's just kind of raising awareness on it. And it's what you pay attention to and what you don't pay attention to that um, you know, millennials has been such a buzzword for so long that it, it is kind of getting on, it's getting on my nerves on the amount of times it's brought up and non-millennials speaking on millennials behalf as to what they want and desire and need and how different they are. Um, and really saying, taking a step back and saying, how can I productively impact that conversation? Because there is value in asking the questions that the person's trying to set a framework for. Let's just get past the framework and start addressing the questions. Um, how do we engage customers? How do we engage people in the workforce? Those are real things to deal with. And we need to understand that people born 30 years after us are engaged slightly different than we are. And the world, and, and not so much because they're genetically different, but because the world has changed dramatically around us. And so how do we engage people today as opposed to how we engaged them 30 years ago? Yeah, that's right. In fact, um, I think I mentioned this in my email. You know, when I, when I think about, you know, key variables and what makes a difference, you know, I do think that this point that we made earlier about life stage, right? So if they're early career or whatever, that's a key, that is a key factor. Another key factor is what you just mentioned, which is, kind of the environment in which they're living, right? So we have huge numbers of people that have tremendous amounts of student debt right now. That, yep, that's, yep. That's, that's a key context, right? Yep. That's a key part of the factor. And then the, the third factor, at least in my opinion, is each individual's own life experience. Right. You know, maybe they were raised by a single mother and uh, were raised uh, in poverty or whatever it might be. And because of that, they have this feeling or that feeling, and this is what they want to do. And, and it's a combination of those things uh, that comprise the differences that make us who we are. 